Well, good morning. Thank you for uh, turning out this morning. I'm impressed with the numbers here, which is great. Um, just for a few minutes, we're going to carry on uh, with our uh, subject, the series that we're looking at uh, in January, Question Why. We've already looked at why creation. We've looked at why Incarnation, and today we're looking at the question, why the cross? And uh, it's quite possible that if I was to open up for discussion or for you to give me your response, uh, most of you would probably come up with some very good answers as to why the cross. I'm very aware that um, we, we, don't <coughs> we don't start with the question, of did God create the world? We didn't start with the question of was there really an incarnation? And we're not going to start with the question was there really a cross? Because the Bible teaches us that there was and I believe the Bible to be the word of God. So we're going to take that as read, as it were, and we're going to look at really what the Bible says about why we have the cross. And you know, sometimes when the subject is given for the preacher to preach on, you look at it and you think, how on earth can I get a message out of that? I've already said, you know, way back, I had to preach on Melchizedek. And today, I've got to preach on why the cross and get it into 20 minutes. And that is the dilemma. There is so much that we could say about the cross. So we'll give it a go. But I want to take you back to right back to the beginning of creation, where we started two weeks ago. And uh, to bring you forward to the, the two sons that Adam and Eve had, Cain and Abel. And we all know that they both offered a sacrifice to God, and uh, it was Abel's offering that was accepted by God. And I don't know how they knew that it was accepted or not accepted. I have this picture in my mind when I was in Sunday school of the two offerings and the smoke from Abel's offering going straight up to God and the offering from Cain making a far, rather funny um, pattern in the sky, indicating that God did not accept Cain's offering. We don't know why, but we can speculate. So there was an offering given back then. And then if you go forward a little bit to, uh, to Noah in the ark, Directly Noah came out of the ark. We read that he built an altar and he offered a sacrifice of some of the clean animals and some of the clean birds. Take it further forward. Well-known story of Abraham when God uh, challenged Abraham and tested him to offer up his son Isaac as a burnt offering. You remember when they were going along, Isaac said, you know, we have the wood, we have the fire, but where is the offering? And Abraham said, God will provide. And he did. He provided a ram to be offered instead of Isaac. And this was all before the law that was given to Moses about sacrifice. So there were sacrifices and offerings being made way back before Moses. But then we see Moses come on the scene um, um, just a, a while later after the 
um, the generations of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and we know that, that the, the children of Israel all went down into uh, Egypt and, uh, because of the famine. And they grew into a, a, a vast nation. And they were eventually put into slavery by the Egyptians. And Joseph, one of uh, uh, Israel's children, became prime minister. And uh, Jacob and his family relocated to Egypt, and they became a great nation. Wind the clock forward three or four hundred years, and uh, the Egyptians were not happy about the prosperity and the power of the, um, the children of Israel, and they became slaves under the Egyptians. And this is where Moses came on the scene. And uh, God spoke to, to Moses on one or two occasions, and he said to Moses, these are very important words, he said to Moses, I have seen your people's misery, and I have heard their cry. And we all know the story of how he went to Pharaoh on numerous occasions, on about on a number of occasions, and, and, and asked to be released, but he wouldn't let them. He did, and then he didn't. He changed his mind. And finally, that final plague where, where the angel of God was going to go through the land and kill the firstborn. And God gave Moses instructions as to what the children of Israel were to do. They would go into their households, and every household was going to be, be told to, to, to kill a lamb and to, and to prepare it and to eat it. But one thing they had to do, they had to paint the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and on the lintels of the doors. And God said to Moses, and these again important words, he said, when I see the blood... I will pass over. When I see the blood, I will pass over. And finally, that resistance was broken. And God promises that he would release his people. They were held in slavery. They were rescued because of the blood that was over the doorposts and on the lintels. Then I want you to wind the clock forward another 1,500 years. And uh, we, we see this man, John the Baptist, coming out of the wilderness and preaching. And on that occasion, when Jesus went to, was walking towards John the Baptist, John the Baptist looked at Jesus and he announced to the crowd, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we have another lamb that was going to be sacrificed, the Lord Jesus himself. The question is, why? The question is, why? And I want just for a few minutes just to look at the significance of that question when we look at the verses that we read together in Romans chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You see, the children of Israel were slaves. They were helpless. They were without hope. And they needed to be rescued. You look at verse 6 of Romans 5. Paul says here, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. What it's saying here is that the ungodly are powerless and Christ died for the ungodly. talks about us being ungodly, talks about us being powerless. 
And in many ways, that is not good news. And I was listening to a sermon just recently, and a person said that it's not good news. But if we want to get ahead around the good news, we have to get our thinking straight about the bad news. The bad news is that actually there is sin in the world. And Paul says elsewhere in Romans that we have all sinned and we've all fallen short of God's glory. And we'll never appreciate the good news unless we get it straight in our heads about the bad news. And one of the things that sin does, and it says it here, that it, uh, it separates us from God. You know what it's like if you have a relationship with somebody and, and everything is going along and then you, you do something to hurt that person. It damages the relationship. And that's what's happened with us, with the world. When sin entered the world, the relationship with God was damaged. Adam was put out of the garden. The relationship is damaged. And Paul says here, um, it, it says that, that, we, that we become enemies of God. That is strong language. We become enemies of God. And when we're enemies with each other, there is a breakdown in relationship. We're separated. We see it in, on our television screens when there is war, when there are enemies fighting each other. And in many ways, that's what Paul is saying here. We've become enemies of God because the relationship has broken down because of sin. Sin separates us from God. The thing that happens when we become enemies and when we become separated, there's, there's, there's no peace. First verses we, we, we read together said that we, we are, we've been justified through faith. We have then peace with God. But if we're in the state of being enemies, there is no peace. And people do not have peace these days. They will do anything to obtain peace. Going back to verse 6, we're powerless to do anything about it. Talked in verse 2. Through him we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The indication there is that if we're not in that situation, we have no hope. We have no hope in which to rejoice in. Paul says elsewhere that actually if we are in the world without God, we are actually without hope. We are without hope. So why the cross? Well, the lamb, the Passover lamb that was slain was God's rescue plan for the children of Israel. And I want to put it to you this morning that the cross is God's rescue plan for mankind. It is through the cross that, that we are forgiven. It is through the cross that we have peace. It is through the cross that we have hope. It is through the cross, and it talks here about, about the wrath of God. It is through the cross that, that we, we have that the wrath of God taken from us. We sang it in that song, In Christ Alone, My Hope 
is found. It talked about the wrath of God being laid upon the Lord Jesus. So it is God's rescue plan to give us those things that we are powerless to obtain ourselves. I know we're talking about Paul, but you remember Peter, um, soon after the, Pente- the day of Pentecost, and he preached his amazing sermon. And then he was hauled up before the, the Jewish leaders um, to, to answer for what he was doing. And he finishes up with what he, what he says in his defense. And these are important verses in Acts 4.12. It says, he said that there is now, there is now, no, there is now under heaven no other name given to men whereby we must be saved. You see, Jesus is, is the only answer. The cross is the only way. It is the only way for salvation. So it's God's rescue plan. It's God's plan to, to take away that, that, that enmity. It is, it is to bring us back to, to God. And we read that in those last few verses. It says, for if we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through this life? Not only this, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's what it's all about. It's about reconciliation. It's about forgiveness. It's about restoring relationship. That's what the cross does. And that's why we have the cross, because there is no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But you know, the question is, are we saved? The question is, have we applied, as it were, the blood to our lives? In the same way that the children of Israel, if the lamb had been slain and they'd just eaten it and thrown the rest away, they would have been killed as the angel of the Lord came through that land. They had to apply the blood to the doorpost and the lintels. And you know, we have to apply the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to our lives. You know, people say, well, Jesus died for everyone. And he did. But we have to respond and accept that gift. You know, and I, and I, I finish with this because I, I just want to, I want to lengthen the service. But you know, on Christmas Day, I didn't see this, it was... Uh, one of our sons that said this. On Christmas Day, you know, there were already being posted on eBay, which for those of you that don't know, this is the, the thing out there in the, in the ether that you can sell things or buy things on. And you just log on to eBay and all sorts of things are for sale on eBay. On eBay, on Christmas Day, already there were posted many, many unwanted gifts. And, you know, I brought a gift along with me, and I would just want to, just to sort of, just to finish with this, really. On eBay, on Christmas Day, there were gifts for sale. And you know what? A lot of them had never been opened. And there were pictures of presents on eBay that had never been opened. 
And it's quite possible. I thought, well, why, why do people do that? And I think, well, maybe they'd got a few presents from people they didn't like or people they'd up, been upset by in the, in the past and, and they, didn't want, they didn't want to know anything about them. So there were presents on eBay that had never been opened. And you know, the sad thing is that God has given us the gift of the Lord Jesus. He's died on the cross. He's made a way open for us into the very presence of God to bring reconciliation, peace, forgiveness, and hope. And people don't even open the present. They don't even open the present. And I hope there's nobody here this morning that has never opened the present. But you know, you can open the present. I'll try not to drop it because it's very fragile. Open the present. I knew the small shoebox would come in handy. And you can take out the present. And you think, that's nice. And you can place it on the mantelpiece. And you leave it there. And you think, that's nice. Yes, Christ died for me. And every so often, you'll, you'll dust it. You'll take it down and you'll dust it and you'll put it back on the mantelpiece. And it's there just in case you need it. As you know, some people look upon the Christian life a bit like that. Yeah, it's there. I believe it. When I need it, when I need a bit of prayer, when I need to, God to solve my problems, I'll, I'll, I'll get it down and I'll dust it off. But you know, that's not the way it should be. We should be accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. We should be accepting the message of the cross. And it should become part of our intimate daily living. You see, that vase has a use. And we need to make sure that we put it to good use. And it's so much better, isn't it? Now, I'm, I'm careful about this. I won't make too good a job of um, doing these, just in case they ask me to go on the flower rotor. Um, but, you, but, but do you see the difference? We can, we can not open the present. We can open it and think, that's nice. Or alternatively, we can make use of the present for the purpose that it was given. And that's what we need to be doing as far as our faith is concerned. I wonder, which category are we in? Is the Christian life something that, is, that we're passionate about? Is our relationship with the Lord Jesus something which is real and deep and lasting, a daily experience? Do we know for absolute certainty that we have peace with God, that we have hope, that we have a future. That's why Christ died for us. He died for us that we might know these things. Not something that we could do on a Sunday or take off the shelf when we need it. It's part of our daily living. It's got to be part of our daily living. And I hope that none of us are like the people that we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. What did it say? It says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. 
it said, Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Greeks. Some people say, I need some evidence. I need a sign. Some people say, I need a few more questions answered. But you know, the Christian faith is a faith. It's not that we jump blindly out of an airplane without a parachute, but it is a reaching out in faith to God and accepting the message of the cross. Because for those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And we need to know that power of God in our lives. So why the cross? Well, I've explained it. But we need to respond to the message of the cross. The reason is there, the response is our responsibility. The cross frees us from the punishment of our sin in the past. It frees us from the power of sin in the present. And it will free us from the very presence of sin in the future. And I trust that all of us have that absolute assurance that that is our experience.